the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Short show today. We're up until 6-10, and then we bring you Red Sox baseball. Sox open up a three-game series with the Angels, who are playing very, very well this season after several years in futility. We got a little bit of the Sox today, a little bit on the Celtics, a little bit on the Patriots. Bruins got smoked yesterday by the uh, Hurricanes. They trail one nothing in that playoff series. So I'd like to avoid that one if we all, if at all possible, with everybody. But uh, yeah, that was ugly. The Hurricanes just took it right to him. Like Bruce Cassidy said, it wasn't for lack of trying, but the bees certainly were outmanned yesterday. I did have my weekly conversation with former UVM hoops coach Tom Brennan. That's available on the podcast channel at Apple Podcasts. And on Spotify, breaking news just into the Brady Farkas show. Marcus Smart out tonight for game two of the celtics Bucks series. You never say never, but th- this is going to be tough. The Celtics already were kind of up against it against Milwaukee. Now you take out Smart, kind of their heart and soul, their best defensive player, the defensive player of the year, a guy that can get you between 10 and 15 points also. That's a lot to try to make up there. This is a must-win game for the Celtics. We always as fans think that there are like 50 must-win games. The team's won two, teams lost two in a row. This is a must-win. Teams lost three in a row. This is a must-win. None of them are must-win games. This is is a must-win game. If the Boston Celtics go down 2 nothing at home and then have to go back to Milwaukee, this thing is over. I don't know how they're going to make up for the loss of Marcus Smart today, but they're going to have to figure it out. Because if they don't, if they lose this game, the the ESPN box score will read 2 nothing. The series will be over. The Celtics will have no chance to come back from down 2-0 if you lose both of these games at home. there's It's just going to be physically impossible to beat this team four times in five games. It's it's not going to happen with three of those games being on the road. So Peyton Pritchard, you're going to have to step up. Aaron Neesmith, you might have to uh, get up from off the bench and, uh, and contribute. All the big men, I mean, they're, they're going to have to cobble this thing together. It's It was already hard. It's going to be very hard tonight. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You can get in, everybody, on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores, by the way, in uh, Waterbury and Morrisville. So also Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. Let's get into it, everybody. Five, four, three, two. One. And here we go. And the opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. As the Los Angeles Angels come to Fenway tonight, here's the question. Is Shohei Otani 
the right guy to be the face of baseball. For the next three games at Fenway, we're going to see the Angels. We're going to see Otani. Right now, he's in the lineup tonight. He's got some groin issues, but he's in the lineup tonight. And he's scheduled to pitch on Thursday. So we're scheduled to see him in all of his glory at Fenway Park for the next three days. There was an interesting yet controversial story written by a reporter in Chicago the other day, which is where the Angels came from, right? So the Angels just played the White Sox. A reporter in Chicago said, essentially, that Otani is too silent and not available enough to be the star that baseball needs. Says that he's got a report that Japanese reporters say he's even more dismissive of media back home. Sources within the game say his overall attitude or say this attitude is part of a reputation Otani has developed since arriving in the majors four years ago. The reporter wrote that Otani does not talk to media before the game and just kind of overall makes the argument that Otani is not the star that baseball needs. What do you think about that? 802-585-3026. Because for me, there's really no other way to say it. This piece it, it is stupid. This piece is just stupid. Let's get something clear here. Let's understand what baseball needs. Baseball needs to be exciting to kids. That is what baseball needs. Baseball needs to be exciting to five-year-olds, to nine-year-olds, and to 12-year-olds. Baseball needs to be exciting to those kids so that those kids begin to play the game, keep playing the game, and therefore grow up fans of the game. Baseball needs those kids to love the sport so that they stop leaving it for lacrosse. We need them to not get out of the sport early. Those five-year-olds, nine-year-olds, and 12-year-olds that you're trying to market to, they don't give one rip if Shohei Otani speaks to some Chicago-based reporter before the game. They don't care at all. They don't care how available he is or isn't pregame. They don't care what his press conferences sound like. That stuff, that's good for us. That's good for me in the media. It's good for our jobs in terms of having conversation to talk about. It's nice for adult fans. I know the media. I know we are the conduit to the fans, but we're largely the conduit to adult fans who are already fans. If you are listening to this show with any kind of regularity, I bet there's an 80, I bet there's a 95% chance you're already a sports fan. Okay? You're already a sports fan, so therefore like me, you're going to lean on everything that an athlete, a coach, a reporter, an analyst, a broadcaster says. We can bring that to you to enhance the conversation. A five-year-old, a seven-year-old, an 11-year-old, they don't care about any of that stuff. All they care about is, is this guy good, and is he front and center in the ways that matter to that age group? And you know what those, like, baseball needs to attract more people like that, and they those kids, they don't care about this portion of the media. You know what they care about? They want to see Shohei Otani on the cover of video games. Check. He's on MLB The Show 22. He's done that. So Shohei Otani does not talk to Gordon Whitmire, the reporter, 
in Chicago. No kid cares. Otani's on. Oh, oh, that's the guy on the cover of the video game. Awesome. They need to see Otani in commercials, which he has done. Maybe he could do more, but he's already been in commercials. They need to see Otani be mic'd up at the All-Star game, which he was. Mic'd up in a standalone event in a in the sport's biggest non-playoff-related showcase. Otani was there and was present. They need to see him participate in the Home Run Derby. Oh, wait, he did that too. Those kids do not care if he get, grants an interview to some reporter in the clubhouse before a game. I promise you they don't. I didn't care about press conferences until I was about 18 years old. And I was already a diehard sports fan by then. Like, no press conference mattered to me until I was about 18 years old. And I was already locked in at that point. So, when you say, oh, Otani's the wrong face of baseball, for who? We're trying to attract kids to the sport. And Otani is checking all of the boxes on the cover of a video game, on television commercials, mic'd up at the All-Star game, plays in the home run derby, and then he can go and ask his mom or dad, the kid can go ask their mom or dad, hey, tell me a little more, more about this Otani guy. Oh, yes, son, daughter, he's doing things we've never seen before. That's what a kid cares about. His personality on the field is infectious. He's always smiling. He's always interacting. He is where these kids are, and that's all we really need to care about. I may not like that Shohei Otani doesn't talk to the media a lot. So, Okay, that's my job. It doesn't impact how good or bad he is for baseball. Baseball needs to be fun. Baseball is for kids. Baseball is not need to be built around stodgy 60-plus-year-old sports writers like Gordon Whitmire, I believe, is. If he's not 60, I apologize, but I felt like he's older. Kids need flair. Kids need fun. And Otani's checking all the boxes. So this 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 just kind of, this one just, I wouldn't say it angers me. I just roll my eyes at it. Like, do you understand what baseball needs? Baseball needs to be fun for kids. When I was growing why am I such a big baseball fan? It's Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Jr. made baseball in the early 90s cool. He made baseball fun. When I grew up, now I happened to be living in the city that Ken Griffey Jr. played in, so that obviously helped. But when I was growing up, Ken Griffey Jr. made baseball fun. Hat backwards, infectious smile, wore the earrings, played awesome, ran fast, caught everything, hit home runs, had the sweet swing, had the bat drop, had the, the swing he wanted to mimic in wiffle ball. He was on the cover of the video games. He was on the cover of cereal boxes. He's doing stuff with Tony the Tiger. Ken Griffey Jr. was where I was as a young kid. He brought things to the game that attracted me. That's what baseball needs to get. They don't need Shohei Otani to speak to somebody in the clubhouse. So that is, that's just the whole comp. Like, you're so deep into this that, yeah, it affects you. This affects nobody else. Baseball needs to be fun for kids.
And Otani makes it fun for kids. Video games, commercials, home run derby, plays well, smiles a lot, is really good. That that's that checks all the boxes. So, um, Peter in Williston says, agree with you, Brady. What a joke. Otani is a superstar, whether he's quiet or not. Hank Aaron and Johnny Bench weren't loudmouthed. Their play spoke volumes. Same for Shohei. Um... All right, there you go. Frank is listening, by the way, from uh, Dalton, New Hampshire. So he says, uh, welcome, everybody. He's on Facebook Live. Thanks, Frank. Say this. Otani is in the lineup today. I'm glad about that. I'm also very glad that we're going to get to see Mike Trout in this series because Mike Trout gets lost in the shuffle. To me, Trout is still the best player in baseball. There's a lot of great players. Otani is one of them. He is... Uh, Juan Soto is one of them. There's all kinds of great players in baseball, but to me, Trout is still the standard. Now, he's kind of chosen to not be the face of baseball, and that's fine. If he doesn't want that, that's up to him. I I don't care. But he gets lost in the shuffle, and he shouldn't. He kind of gets buried by Otani coverage-wise now. I'm just pumped to see him back. I don't believe he played last year. At Fenway, he was out most of the year last season. He's hitting 324 this year, six homers, leads the league in runs scored. He's got an on-base percentage of 459. I think he only played 38 games last year or something, and he comes back, and he just hasn't missed a beat. In a league where nobody can hit, Mike Trout can still hit. So Otani's going to be the story of this series from the Angels' perspective, but don't overlook that this is your only chance to see Mike Trout at Fenway. This is your only chance all year to see him there. He's still the standard as far as I'm concerned. We just take for granted how great this guy is. He's just 30 years old still. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer already. He's in the he's an all-timer already. He's in the inner circle of the Hall of Fame already. And while I want the Red Sox to win, I, I'm not afraid to say that I cannot wait to watch Trout. So the, the column out of Chicago was ridiculous to me about Otani and also remember Trout is back and you should be excited about that too it's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com we're going to take a very short break like barely 30 seconds okay we're going to be back at it we got a couple final thoughts on the Patriots draft including well one known Patriots hater doing exactly what you would expect what did Nick Wright have to say about the Pats draft this time? I'll play it for you next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Told you, very quick break. We're back out of here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball pregame show begins at 6-10. First pitch, 7-10. It's Noah Syndergaard against Michael Walker. couple final thoughts from uh, insiders and analysts on the Patriots draft. Let's get to noted Patriots hater Nick Wright of Fox Sports 1. He got on the pats about drafting backup quarterback Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. So you think maybe there's a motivation ploy? Maybe Belichick was like, hey, Mac, a little less time in the trademark office and dance studio, a little more time in the lab. Like, you think maybe that's what it was? Or he's not quite as sold on Mac Jones as you are. Or option C. Oh, okay. 
The Patriots stink at drafting. And a team that has holes all over the place just used a fourth-round pick on Bailey Zappi to be their backup quarterback. Just like they used a fourth-round pick on Jarrett the Javelin, and you loved that, and now you're like, okay, um, he's probably out. All right, let's address a few things here. One, I don't believe that drafting Bailey Zappi is a motivational ploy for Mac Jones. I don't think that Mac Jones needs a fire lit under him. I don't think the Patriots are trying to light a fire under him. I simply think this is about preparation for your future. Jared Stidham is in the last year of his rookie deal. He's on his way out, as I told you yesterday. Brian Hoyer is 36, and he could be out at any time. So this is more about preparation at a position that you can never afford to be light at. While the Patriots had three bodies last year, they certainly are coming to the end of their rope with two of those bodies. Stidham is going to be out, and Hoyer could retire tomorrow, for all I know. He certainly could retire after this year. You want to be prepared. So I think the selection of Bailey Zappi is about preparation and not any kind of referendum on Mac Jones. Two. Nick Wright says, well, are you not as sold on Mac as you thought you were? I, I don't think that this selection has anything to do with being less sold on Mac Jones. The Patriots are clearly sold on him. And while maybe I don't think that he should be the quarterback for the next decade, they certainly are trending in that direction, aren't they? The Patriots didn't make an offer for Deshaun Watson. They didn't go after Russell Wilson. They didn't make a move on Matt Ryan. They didn't make a move on Carson Wentz. They haven't gone after Baker Mayfield. They haven't called on Jimmy Garoppolo. All the quarterback movement there's been this offseason, the Patriots have been a part of exactly none of it. That tells you right there that they are sold on Mac Jones. Russell Wilson available, they don't call. Matt Ryan available, they don't call. Baker Mayfield still available for cheap. They don't call. So the Patriots, they're fine with Mac. So there's really only one part of what Nick Wright had to say that I really kind of want to get into. Are the Patriots just bad at drafting, he says. And they had so many needs. How could they spend a fourth-round pick on a backup quarterback? Well, here's why I don't eviscerate this pick. The Pats... Generally, you operate on, under the assumption that you're going to get one pick per round, right? So if I told you you get one pick per round and the Patriots are going to draft a backup quarterback who will never play in the fourth round, you're like, well, that is kind of a waste, isn't it? It wasn't a waste this year. The Patriots picked one in the first. They picked one in the second. They picked one in the third. But they picked two players in the fourth round ahead of Bailey Zappi. They had five. They had four picks already by the time they got, I'm sorry, let's see, they had one, two, three, four, they had five picks gone by the time they got to Zappi. He wasn't the traditional fourth round pick where he was your fourth of four. He was sixth of four. At that point, you are in the positive. You are in the surplus. You are in the bonus. The Patriots had addressed a lot of those needs already by the time they got to their sixth pick of the draft. So it was perfectly fair at that point that they draft Bailey Zappi or they draft a position they didn't necessarily need. 
they took a guard, which they needed. They took a wideout, which they needed. They took a DB, two DBs, which they needed. And they took a running back, which they certainly can use. All before Zappi. This wasn't like they spent a first-round pick on a quarterback that's never going to play. It was their sixth pick. Their sixth pick of the draft. If I told you they had one pick per round and they took this uh, with their sixth pick, you know, they're, they're picking the sixth round they took a quarterback, you wouldn't bat an eye at it. This was their sixth pick of the draft. It just happened to come in the fourth round. They also didn't have a fifth-round pick, so it's not like you could go and wait again and maybe they thought Zappy or anyone else that they, you know, that that they would like, would be gone by that point. So Nick Wright, just anything to get under the Patriots' skin, anything to get under Pat's Nation's skin, absolutely just ridiculous to me. Like a lit- Nick Wright is really smart. I don't have to like what he says, but he's really, really smart. Do a little bit of research and find out that it was their sixth pick. Not their fourth pick. I mean, they took they they picked two guys in the fourth round before Zappy, two guys at more need positions than backup quarterbacks. So I don't eviscerate the pick. Like, yeah, sure. Would I like to see him pick a quarterback in the fifth? They didn't pick in the fifth. So they made Bailey Zappy essentially their fifth round pick. It picked number one thirty seven. All right. Let's get to uh Mike Giardi now of the NFL Network, someone who's a little friendlier to Pat's Nation. Look, the Patriots' drafts of the last five years were one of the reasons they were in a position where they had to spend all that money in free agency two years ago. They felt like they hit the draft last year, but it's important to hit the draft again this year. And I think, look, there'll be some questions, as there are with every team, about how these players look until we get to see them on the field and how they fit the scheme. Yeah, that's fair. It's absolutely huge that the Patriots hit in this draft. For the 2022 Pats, they don't need all of these guys to develop right away. They have some time for some of these guys to turn into every down players. But the impact of this draft class long term needs to be significant. You cannot rely on free agency. You just can't. You cannot rely on free agency. What they did last offseason was a one-time bailout. That can't happen most off seasons. That's what teams like the Jets and Jags and Browns, that's what they have historically tried to do. And guess what? It's never worked for any of those teams. You can't do that often. So the draft has to be where most of your work is done. There's been an impetus on making the draft be your main conduit to success. Do you remember Robert Kraft? Just uh, when was this? This was April 1st. Do you remember Robert Kraft, what he said? A month ago? If you want to have a good, consistent, winning football team, you can't do it in free agency. You have to do it through the draft. Once they get to their first contract, if they're superstars, you can only balance so many of them. And so, really, the teams who draft well are the ones who will be consistently good. Yeah, so the Patriots know that drafting... Is important. Last year they did well. Uh, Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, Ramondre Stevenson, all of them contributed. The Pats need to get three to four guys to hit here this year as well. We think that Cole Strange will be good. I think Pierre Strong is going to have a role. It may not be in 2022, but I think that he's going to be a guy who can contribute. I think Marcus Jones is really exciting, the DB. 
I think where it all kind of swings is on Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver. If he busts, like I said yesterday, you're in a world of hurt. If he hits, then the overall draft class looks like a real big, big success, I think. couple of texts on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Uh, Matt in Williston, which Pat's pick makes the biggest impact year one? Well, I think that Cole Strange, as much as I didn't love when they took him, I think he walks in day one. I think he's a starter. And anytime you can work on the offensive line, I think that's a big deal. So I think he's going to have a big impact. I think he'll replace Ted Karras. So I think Cole Strange will have an impact that's pretty steady. The guy that I think they really need something from is Marcus Jones. He's important. He's the guy I told you yesterday I'm most excited about. Defensive back out of Houston. They got him in the third round. Super athletic. His playmaking ability, his speed, combined with Kyle Duggar, Jabril Peppers in the back end. If you squint real hard, you can start to see the possibilities of a more athletic defense that can make some plays. Marcus Jones is going to have to be part of that. Uh, Lou in Waterbury on the text line. You keep saying how important Thornton is to this class. What are your expectations for him? I, I don't think he needs to have a huge impact this year. I think his impact really needs to be ready to be felt in 2023. Next year, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry. That's a lot of pass catchers there if everybody's healthy. I don't think there's room for Tyquan Thornton to have 100 catches next season. Think he can be a game-breaker? Think he can make some big plays? I don't need him to make them often. If he has 30 catches, but most of them are big plays, I'll be fine with that. If you can bring him in for the jet sweep stuff, for the bubble screen that he takes to the house, I'm fine with that too. But I don't need him to have 10 catches a game. But uh, Myers and Aguilar are in the last year of their deals. Parker's older and has been injured a lot in his career. Thornton needs to be ready to produce big time in 2023 because you might lose all three of those guys for various reasons, either to free agency or just to injury. So I think Thornton needs to kind of get into the program this year, but I don't necessarily think he has to dominate the program this year. I think he's got to be ready for that in about 2000. And 23. All right, finally, let's get to our last uh, cut here. Here's our guy, Phil Perry, Pat's insider, NBC Sports Boston. He gave the overall class a grade. Some trends that have emerged from this Patriots draft class, they have gotten faster, but they've also gone very light, and they've invested in players from some smaller programs. Time will tell just how much this group is able to contribute to the next Patriots championship team. But for now, the grade for this class is a C-. C-minus, it seems like that stems from taking a guard too early in round one, which I agreed with. And the Thornton pick, people say he was like a fourth or fifth round grade and the Pats took him in the second. That's another reason why it's going to hinge. The success of this class is going to hinge in part on him. I fully believe that because this team, if they took a guy, if they took multiple guys, multiple rounds early, then there's perfect reason to to judge the Pats. There's per reason, perfect reason to question them or criticize them. If Thornton hits and proves people wrong, then, then that's going to go a long way towards calling this a success. If he can't do that, and he's Nikhil Harry part two, then that is a uh, 
certainly a problem. I mentioned Marcus Smart, by the way, out for the Celtics tonight with that right thigh contusion. So he's out. Starters are as follows. Robert Williams, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White. So the C is going relatively big, getting both Horford and Williams in there. Derek White also, again, Peyton Pritchard's going to have to play. Maybe Neesmith. I mean, there's going to be Tice. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be a tough, tough one tonight. We're going to tip off here about an hour from now. When we come back, Red Sox lineups. And uh, one interesting piece of Red Sox news that I didn't know. I'll tell you what that is next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas Show brought to you in part by ProDriver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com. Red Sox baseball comes up about four minutes from now. A couple interesting things that I learned today that I did not know previously. Here's John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston who was talking about the Red Sox catcher situation. I hadn't heard this. No, and they tried to replace him. I mean, we know all we need to know by the fact that they tried to go out and get Jacob Stong's catcher who ended up going from the Pirates to the Marlins. Not having a great year, but a gold glove catcher in the past. They were looking to upgrade that position. So they were looking to upgrade the position and looking to kind of and not necessarily move on from Christian Vasquez, but looking to at least bring in some more better competition for him. Lou Merloni, former Sox infielder, said this. Christian Vasquez shouldn't be an everyday catcher anymore. Like, he really shouldn't. Like, and that's where the free pass comes in. Yeah, he's still got a good arm, but I don't think pitchers like throwing to him. You look at some of the ERAs, they're better with Ploiecki than they are with Vasquez. I think the one neat thing is annoying me, but more importantly, I think he's just lazy with it. You know, others, I think, work at it. I think he gets lazy on pass balls. Uh, you know, and swinging the bat, you know, what was it, mid-April or so, when he last year he said he was feeling sexy? I mean, he's got like a 600 OPS ever since. The last couple of years, there's been a decline all over the field. You know, I haven't crunched all the numbers on Vasquez as far as whose ERA is what when throwing to him. But, yeah, in general, Vasquez is a curious case. Chris Sale never throws to him. Remember all the times we spent watching Chris Sale pitch to Sandy Leone? And I do know that Nathan Evaldi's numbers last year were better with Ploiecki than Vasquez, so there is some anecdotal evidence there on defense. But I am also amazed at his overall lack of offense. Like a few years ago, Christian Vasquez was a premier offensive catcher. What happened? Like, juiced ball, say whatever you want, but he hit 23 home runs in 2019. He hit seven in the COVID-shortened season, which would profile to, like, 20 in a full season. Then he hit just six last year. His batting average and on-base percentage have plummeted the last two years. I know you don't necessarily demand offense from the catcher's spot. It's generally a bonus, but he's given almost nothing the last two years. It is surprising how his offense has deteriorated once he hit his 30s. He's just kind of another guy now that's not doing his part. He's not the reason for the Sox overall offensive struggles, but he's just another part of the bottomless pit that exists in the the, uh, Red Sox six through nine spots in the order. Um, I did not know that the Red Sox went out looking to upgrade the catcher position. That was news to me. I guess it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Vasquez is, you know, is under contract, so I don't think they would have just gotten rid of him outright, but I was surprised to, to hear that. And then when you really start to think about it, you can understand why the offense has cratered and to lose point. Yeah. Some of the pitching is better or preferred with other guys.
Red Sox are 9 and 14. The Angels are 15 and 9 and playing very well this year. Noah Syndergaard's on the mound for the Angels, 2 and 0 with a 2-1-2 ERA. Michael Waka, 2 and 0 with a 1-7-7 for the Red Sox. Red Hot Taylor Ward hitting 390 is in the leadoff spot for the Halos in right. Mike Trout, six homers, is in center. Shohei Otani, the reigning AL MVP, he's the DH and hits third. Anthony Rendon is at third. Jared Walsh, the slugging lefty, is at first base. Two homers, ten ribbies there. Jack Mayfield is in left. Max Stassi is the catcher. David Fletcher, back off the injured list, is at second. And Andrew Velasquez is the shortstop. He bats ninth. For the Sox, Trevor Story is at second. Rafael Devers at third. Xander Bogarts is the shortstop. J.D. Martinez, the D.H., Alex Verdugo in left, Kike Hernandez in center, Franchi Cordero's at first, Kevin Ploiecki, the catcher, and Jackie Bradley Jr. is hitting ninth. So no Christian Vasquez, no Bobby Dahlbeck. The Franchi and Dahlbeck platoon continues to take effect. Go download the podcast, everybody, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and WDEVradio.com. We'll be up here in a matter of about 10 minutes or less. Celtics tonight without Marcus Smart. We'll be back at it tomorrow for 40 minutes, everybody. Go Celtics. Go Sox. See you on DEV in about 24 hours.